Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, President Obama accelerates the timetable for withdrawal from Afghanistan. Even as there will be dark days ahead in Afghanistan, the light of a secure peace can be seen in the distance. These long wars will come to a responsible end. As the Greek crisis unfolds, we ask whether the Eurozone could actually collapse. It's now, I think, widely acknowledged that the fatal flaw in the construction of the Eurozone was Greece. So if Greece remains a member, that fatal flaw remains. And India battles to keep inflation under control. India is relying very heavily on its central bank to reduce inflation. It may bring it under control in the coming months with this series of rate rises. But India's fast-growing economy may come off the boil in the process. But first, the announcement that President Obama is accelerating the timetable for the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan. This is how the president made the announcement. Starting next month, we will be able to remove... 10,000 of our troops from Afghanistan by the end of this year. And we will bring home a total of 33,000 troops by next summer. We won't try to make Afghanistan a perfect place. We will not police its streets or patrol its mountains indefinitely. That is the responsibility of the Afghan government, which must step up its ability to protect its people. Al-Qaeda is under more pressure than at any time since 9-11. Together with the Pakistanis, we have taken out more than half of al-Qaeda's leadership. We killed Osama bin Laden, the only leader that al-Qaeda had ever known. And even as there will be dark days ahead in Afghanistan, the light of a secure peace can be seen in the distance. These long wars will come to a responsible end. President Obama speaking in Washington. Now joining me in the studio is the FT's diplomatic editor, James Blitz. James, he says that this war will be brought to a responsible end. Do you think most people in Washington who who know the war believe him? Well, a lot don't. There's no question about that. I mean, he has gone against the military advice that he's received, in particular the advice given him by General David Petraeus, who is the commander in charge of the NATO mission in Afghanistan and about to become the head of the CIA. I mean, his advice, Petraeus' advice, was have a much smaller drawdown because you've got to spend more time in Afghanistan holding and building on the areas which you've got so that you keep the Taliban at bay. So what we've seen here is a very political, brave some would say very risky statement by Obama, which may come off but may blow up in his face ahead of the presidential election. Time for the presidential election, though, of 2012, so that he can say to the American people, I'm the president who's brought two wars to a close, essentially. Well, he'll be able to say that he's brought much of the second war to a close, the Afghan war. I mean, by September of next year, 33,000 US troops will be out. Out of a total of 100,000. He'll still have about 67,000 in place, but he'll have a lot of TV pictures of troops coming home and then the election in November. So that's the good stage. The worry for him, of course, is that in the summer of next year, as you're going through this huge withdrawal, the Taliban actually 
do a resurgence. They actually take some serious action against you. Your your peace talks haven't gone well. It's a risk. I mean, and he's had very clear advice that's being publicly said, don't do this. So he is taking a bit of a risk here. Looking beyond 2012 and the election, uh, which, as you say, is probably a big part of the calculations, let's say the Americans do pull out. I think the date they've set for hoping to be out more or less completely is 2014, 2015. Is that right? Well, the British have been much more clear about having to have all combat troops out by 2015. And Karzai has said that the Afghans will have the security lead. But the Americans have never been as firm about bringing out combat troops by 2015 as the British have been. What I was going to go on and say is it's interesting, if you listen to Obama's speech, there's very much an emphasis on defeating al-Qaeda, not so much talk of the Taliban. I mean, do you think there is a considerable risk that once the West withdraws, that the Taliban aren't just sort of incorporated back into the government in some peaceable way, but actually take the country back? Well, that is very hard to know. I mean, there are some people that clearly think that is the case. There are these peace talks happening with the Taliban on several levels. The Higher Peace Council of President Karzai has now begun peace talks with the various groups, the Haqqani Network, the Ketashura, the Hekmatyar group. So they're going on. You've got the U.S. has now entered into these talks clearly because the Taliban want to see the U.S. at the table. They may get somewhere. The trouble is, I think, for Obama, is that this drawdown is something you wanted to have after you had got the peace agreement with the Taliban on the table. What you needed to be doing was really hitting very hard with the surge, really hitting the Taliban, and at the same time saying, come on, come to the table. He's got it slightly the wrong way around. He's now drawing down, and he's saying, come to the table at the same time. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And so strategically... He's sending a signal to the Taliban, we'd like to talk to you, we'd like to defeat you, but by the way, we're on the way out anyway. Exactly. And that, I think, is the risk. And what the Taliban will do once everybody's roughly out by 2014-15, who can say? The fact is, the key question is not so much what the instincts of the Taliban will be, but what is the strength of the Afghan National Security Forces under Karzai? I mean, the Americans are getting more and more confident that they're, they're reaching the target numbers and so on. But I think the next year is going to test, again, this is something ahead of the presidential election, whether the Afghan National Security Forces really are able to take over these areas that are now being given to them by NATO. There are seven districts and provinces that they're taking over. So again, there's a test for Obama to see whether actually this strategy works. James Blitz, thank you very much indeed. Let's move to Europe now and discussions about Greece and the Eurozone. This week in the British Parliament, there was open discussion of the possibility that the euro might even collapse. Joining me in the studio to talk about this is Vincent Boland, who writes for the FT's Lex column. Vincent, do you think that's that's plausible, that the eurozone could actually collapse? Well, I'm sure that scenario planning is not only taking place in the House of Commons. At least one hopes that it's taking place elsewhere as well, particularly at the European Central Bank and in Brussels. And I think that there is a very strong possibility, even a probability, that the eurozone will shrink and will have to shrink before it expands again. And I think the broad issue of that is really a political one. But but there are two very strong technical reasons as to why the eurozone cannot work and that if it's going to work, it's going to have to shrink in order to do so. The first is that this crisis has made it perfectly plain that the possibility that the eurozone will break up is not zero. So it used to be maybe 1% or 10%, but it's now at least 50%, if not higher. And the second point is that it's now, I think, widely acknowledged that the fatal flaw in the construction of the eurozone was Greece. So if Greece remains a member, that fatal flaw remains. 
So it seems to me that for technical reasons, as much as anything else, Greece should leave the Eurozone and probably will have to leave the Eurozone. But thinking it through, many people agree with you and say, look, Greece's position, competitive position, debt position, unsustainable, they've got to get out. But they say that you can make that case intellectually, but how you actually do it technically without causing a massive bank run in Greece, the collapse of the Greek economy, and the threat of contagion, because not everybody agrees with you that Greece is this outlier. Some people say, well, you know, Greece, Ireland, Portugal. So how do you deal with those two things? Let's, let's take the first one first, Greece, and technically, how the hell do they get out of the euro without causing a collapse? Yes, it's a very difficult challenge, but that's what technocrats are for. The way that it's being spoken of, it would be an absolutely chaotic and catastrophic event. Mm. But it doesn't have to be like that if it's an orderly, well-managed process and a long process, mm. right? Not an overnight one, but a long process. So, so this thing where they sort of meet one weekend and then announce on Sunday night, oh, by the way, we're leaving the euro and we're freezing all bank accounts. They'd have to do it a better way than that. I'm afraid they would, yes. Europe is full of technocrats and this thing has been staring them in the face for at least the last two years. Let's get the second problem the way you were talking suggested Greece outlier, but there are those who say if Greece goes, then you will get the markets just moving on to Portugal, moving on to Ireland, and eventually the big one, Spain. Why are you confident that won't happen? Are you confident? I am confident that it can be prevented because I think that contagion is very preventable. Again, by isolating Greece and by quarantining everybody else. The trouble with the crisis so far is that everybody has been lumped in together and it has been assumed completely wrongly in my view, that everybody has the same problem. Greece and Ireland and Portugal have totally different problems. And until that is recognised and patients are isolated in their own rooms... You mean you've got to separate the TB from the uh, cancer patients, precisely, to put it yes. rather and that has, that, has, that has not been done. And it requires a good deal of leadership in order to achieve that. And that's what's been missing in this crisis so up to now. The last question, if you had to tell me, what is the difference between, say, Greece and Ireland? Ireland is a classic banking problem. Greece is a classic case of an uncompetitive economy that lived beyond its means for many years. So in that Greece, sense, Ireland can stay in if it can sort out its banks because it doesn't have a structural problem precisely. competing within the It Europe. does not have a fundamental economic problem like Greece does. The Greek economy is very weak across a whole range of fronts. The state has far too large a proportion. It has, I think, 55% of economic activity is generated by state companies. That's very, very high. And they are very uncompetitive. And it's not an exporter. It is not a manufacturing economy. And it's not a high-tech economy. So it is very much a sort of 1970s economy living a 21st century lifestyle. And that was completely unsustainable. That's Greece's problem. Ireland's problem is a banking problem. And Portugal's problem is rather more similar to Greece, but it has an element of the banking sector to it because it had a bit of a property bubble. So Portugal may be a blend of Ireland and Greece. But again, it is very distinctive. Portugal is just a more acute Spain, if you like. Last question then. So what kind of time frame are we talking about if the euro does begin to shed members or just shed Greece. If you had to speculate, when would that happen? I would have thought that it should not happen before the European Stability Mechanism takes effect in 2013 and probably would take two or three years. Thank you very much, Vincent. And now to our final topic for today, India and its battles to keep inflation under control. Earlier today, Serena Tarling spoke to the FT Bureau Chief in Delhi, James Lamont, and she started by asking him about the government's decision to raise interest rates for the 10th time in 18 months. 
India is relying very heavily on its central bank to reduce inflation. It may bring it under control in the coming months with this series of rate rises. But India's fast-growing economy may come off the boil in the process. India's economy has been growing at about 8.5% and uh, had ambitions to reach 10%. But uh, if borrowing costs continue to rise, that prospect looks a, a little more distant. Inflation is now running about 9%, and the central bank would like to reduce that to about 6% in the coming months and hit that target by March next year. But many economists are more pessimistic. And what do you think are the root causes of India's inflationary problems? Inflation was initially triggered two years ago by high food prices. There was a bad monsoon, and as a result, food production wasn't as high as was expected, and food prices shot up. Now, that's been followed up by higher energy costs because of higher crude oil prices in the world. But we're now seeing rising prices really across the board. We're seeing them in non-food manufactured products. Uh, we're also seeing them rise in services. And we're also seeing rising labor costs as well. Salaries for skilled workers alone are expected to rise 13% this year. And uh, equally in the agricultural economy, we're also seeing labor cost inflation. So inflation is spreading more widely in this economy. And there are already quite big pressures. India has 1.2 billion people and they're consuming more and uh, they have increasing expectations. And what's the investment climate there like right now? Are people being put off by the recent corruption scandals plaguing the government? Well, the investment climate, I think, has certainly shifted. Investors are being put off by corruption scandals, uh, particular stocks that might be linked to uh, the biggest scandal, and that's a telecom scandal, have really been hammered in recent weeks. And some brokerages and big investment banks are now advising their clients to steer clear of companies that have overt links with politicians or that might be troubled by future allegations around corruption. But as important as, as the investment climate, I think, is the parliamentary paralysis that this corruption season has inflicted on the government. Um, there's a sense that the Congress party-led government is really at sea and not achieving what it might do, particularly in modernizing India's economy. And I think investors, both domestically and internationally, are disappointed that the government has not delivered what it promised to do when it won a really very strong victory a couple of years ago at the polls. Do you think the Congress party will survive? I'd expect it to survive until the parliamentary elections in 2014. I think it will continue to limp along. In spite of the current mood of anti-corruption activism, the opposition BJP doesn't yet have the leadership to mount a serious challenge and probably doesn't want to. It seems quite happy to let this crisis roll on for three years and then sweep in a possibly at the next election. Indian governments tend to be voted out rather than voted in. So it's as much to do with what the incumbent does wrong as to what the challenger does right. But I think the current anti-corruption mood will have a bearing on the leadership of the government. 
Manmohan Singh, the Prime Minister, plans a cabinet reshuffle over the summer, and it would be interesting to see whether he is able to refresh and re-energize his administration. If he doesn't, there's massive pressure on him. Some leading voices within the Congress party are already saying that the 41-year-old Rahul Gandhi, son of Sonia Gandhi, the Congress president, is now ready to be Prime Minister and should possibly step up to the job uh, before the next election. Mr. Gandhi may just be the Congress Party's best answer to turn around what's so far been a very vexed second term in office for the ruling coalition. And if you bring him in now, he might help head off a defeat at the next election. I mean, alternatively, he may stay in the wings and the Congress Party may stick with Mr. Singh into the next election. But I think he's had such a troubled run in recent months that he needs a really rapid turnaround for that to be a possibility. That was Serena Tarling talking to James Lamont. And that's it for this week. My thanks to James Blitz and Vincent Boland in the studio, to James Lamont in Delhi. World Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next time, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.